0: Hello, and welcome to the Economist Intelligence Unit's Digital Economy podcast. I'm your host, Pete Swaby. This podcast is sponsored by DXC Technology, an independent IT services company that specializes in digital transformation. We thank them for their support. Payments are the workhorse of the global economy, the most numerous form of financial transaction. Changes to the way in which consumers and companies make payments have implications for businesses of every kind. The payments ecosystem has seen considerable innovation in recent decades, from the back-end infrastructure to the point of sale. Most recently, the launch of payment services by the likes of Apple or Google have marked the entrance of big tech into the frame. In this episode of the Digital Economy podcast, we explore the present and future of payments and ask what the digitisation of payments means for businesses in the economy, with particular reference to the UK. The UK is a country that has adopted many payments innovations faster than most. And it has risen to the challenge set by the European Union's second payment services directive, which requires banks to open up their payments infrastructure. The resulting open banking promises to unleash even greater innovation by reducing the barriers of entry to the payment services market. The UK's experience, therefore, is likely to foreshadow the evolution of payment systems around the world. My guests this month are Adrian Buckle, Head of Research for Trade Association UK Finance, Steve Everett. Managing Director of Payments for Global Transaction Banking at Lloyds Banking Group, and Fiona Roach-Canning, co-founder of UK-based fintech Pollinate. I started our conversation by asking Adrian, what explains the apparent outburst of innovation around payments in recent history?
1: There has indeed been, been a lot of innovation um, in payments in recent years, although I think The changes in consumer behavior and in the patterns of payments that we've been seeing over the last five years are probably driven more by innovations that happened in the five years before that because people are very much creatures of habit when it comes to the way that they pay for things Um, it takes a lot for people to decide to change the way that they pay Um, and so for example the things that we've been seeing really growing over the last five years one of the key examples would be contactless payments and that has really exploded since about 2015, but actually the first contactless cards uh, were introduced in the UK in 2007. So it's taken a long time for consumers to come around to the idea of contactless cards and then to really take to them and to use them in a huge way um, such that by 2018, I think one in five payments made by consumers were made using contactless cards. So we have seen uh, some real innovation and some real changes, some of that due to changes in technology. So, for example, contactless technology coming in, but also uh, mobile uh, devices um, and the fact that we're now all essentially carrying a a mini computer around in our pockets at all times, uh, which gives us access to a huge amount of data and a huge amount of information. but also regulatory changes which have opened up the information that uh, banks provide access to and the ways in which we can interact with our banks. Um, And those are going to provide changes that perhaps haven't had an impact on consumer behaviour in recent years but are likely to be really key defining factors in the way that we pay for things over the next five or ten years.
0: You, you talked about how um, contactless payments took a while to, to take off after they were, the technology was originally released. What was it that catalyzed adoption for, for contactless payments here in the UK?
1: Yes, I think when, payments, uh, when contactless payments were introduced, we were very much in a situation where uh, the card issuers didn't want to issue the cards until retailers had the card acceptance devices in place for people to be able to use those cards. But at the same time, uh, the merchants and card acquirers didn't want to spend the money on installing new card acceptance devices until consumers had the cards. And so you've got a classic kind of two-sided market where both sides are waiting for the other to move first. Um, Happily, in the UK, Transport for London steps into this situation, um, and they had seen that um, there was great potential for the use of contactless cards on London Transport Systems, a place where... A version of Contactless was already in place, the proprietary system um, known as Oyster that Transport for London uses, and they realised that actually if they could encourage customers to move over to using their Contactless payment cards instead, that it would save a lot of money for them for Transport for London in in terms of the the cost of running the Oyster system. And so what this meant was Transport for London encouraged the card issuers to get the cards out into consumers' hands, and having tried that out in a familiar environment, that gave consumers more confidence to then take the extra step to try that out in a retail environment. And so it really did kickstart consumer adoption um, in a big way in this country.
0: So uh, from a a consumer's perspective, and as Adrian says, as as Londoners, we're all familiar with the uh, impact of, uh, for example, contactless payments on our lives. Many of us will use it to get around the city. Uh, but what's happening behind the scenes, Steve? What has this innovation meant from a bank's perspective, and how have you as an organization had to adapt as as these payments methods have come into practice
2: yeah so so you know as, as adrian said he's, he's kind of picked up very much on the contactless place. If you go back that five years, you know there was so much uh, being bought with cash still physical cash was still there. sixty percent of transactions sort of five ten years ago were still with physical cash. You look at that now it 's thirty percent and you look at the numbers that are being predicted in. 2025 is called sub 10% so so what have we had to do We're, you know I'm from the commercial banking side at, at Lloyd's Banking Group and we have to work with those businesses that, that accept payments and whether that's TFL or whether that's uh, something hospitality or restaurants and, and, and what have you they all need to be able to take payments. we used to be able to work with them continually around their physical cash proposition right how do they get their cash out of their premises back into the processing centers? what we had to do is adapt to, to the rising contactless. So there was a lot of work in our merchant acquiring business about being able to get the adoption of people to take cards and particularly contactless cards. And and that's been a, been a big, big drive. But actually what's also happening behind the scenes um, is open banking. So we've seen open banking in the UK now for two years, we've now got PSD2 in Europe, and open banking as it comes into many other markets around the globe. is starting to transform the way that that people and not just banks can start, to, and third-party payment providers can start to come to the fore. So, so we've had to make that investment because we have to adhere to the to the regulation. For, for our listeners who may not
0: know, could you describe what open banking is and what PSD two is, and what it means in particular for payments?
2: So, for from an open banking perspective, um, all of the UK banks, um, nine nine banks in 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 the UK, had to enable third-party Providers who would be approved by the Open Banking Entity and the FCA could access certain types of consumer accounts and business accounts. Um, and that meant that, that, that third parties could get access to the data in those accounts and pull that data into their own propositions and importantly then start to actually make payments. Now, the key here is that these third parties have to be approved, so it's not just anybody can, can, can enter the space. But equally, you have to have the client consent. So me as a consumer, I have to give consent to that third party to go and access my, my bank account at you know, wherever my, my, my chosen bank is. Now, what that makes is it's far more easier for, for new entrants to enter in, in, the market and therefore drive new propositions. Um, it equally gives
0: the banks the opportunity to, to develop new propositions. Uh, Fiona, Pollinate is a, a fintech that uh, allows uh, banks to make b- greater use of it, their payments data uh, and offer value uh, to their customers. Uh, what What are the developments in the payments infrastructure that, that makes that possible? Could you have be, existed 10 or 20 years ago?
3: It's a great question. So large retailers have been unlocking the power of their data for many years. If you look at somebody like a Tesco or a Sainsbury's, They've had the infrastructure to pull together their payments data, their product level data and then their knowledge of the consumers and use that to drive massive sales and marketing campaigns through Nectar or Tesco Club Card. The innovation that's been happening more recently is that entrepreneurs and small businesses can also have access to that. There's now a plethora of companies that allow small businesses to have loyalty programs, sales and marketing programs at point of sale. And what Pollinate is allowing small businesses to do is rather than have two or three different services that they have to work out how to port data from one to the other, they have to manage the permissions and regulation around that data. Pollinate's using the payment data to allow small businesses to more easily manage and grow their businesses by unlocking the power of that data. So rather than on a Sunday night when you wanna be having dinner with your family, um, downloading all of your transactions into Excel to send them to your accountant to do your accountancy, We can enable that at the click of a button.
0: More more generally, um, what role do you see fintechs having in the payment ecosystem now as a result of of open banking? As as Steve has described, there's more opportunity for entrants to enter the market. What, What role do you think fintechs will play?
3: So banks have traditionally been focused on the financial life of their clients. And that is starting to change So what we're seeing is challenger banks are offering their customers access to a much broader ecosystem of uh, products and services, often offered by fintechs. The hard thing for a small business is being able to piece together the right solutions for their business. And one of the things that we really liked about working with Royal Bank of Scotland is that they had a vision to return to the, the heart of the community and the heart of the high street by being that single point of contact for small businesses to bring together that fintech ecosystem. And for banks, it's always going to be about prioritization, Steve. I'm sure you can agree to this. There's regulation to adhere to, large platform migrations. And what fintechs can do, like Pollinate, is 100% focus on that one pain point that they're solving for the merchant, whether that be being able to digitize a loyalty scheme or be able to more easily have their data flow into an accountancy package. And that's where I think you get the real power of banks working with fintechs.
2: Yeah, I would completely endorse that, actually. So, you know, if, if, if I go back... And think about the big change programs that I was doing 10 years ago. Pretty much all that tech was built in-house. Now almost every big change program I do, um, there are third parties involved, right? So we've just put in a new cash management and payments platform for some of our largest corporate institutional clients. We've gone and bought that from what I'd probably call big tech. But actually the beauty then is to be able to take that and work with fintechs to develop, as you say, niche Need, need resolve niche pain points. You may put two or three different solutions together from two or three different fintech, and actually for the collective power of that and the speed to market and the ability to experiment um, is, is kind of game-changing in terms of our ability to get to market.
3: And, Steve, you mentioned open banking. Uh, we've had the privilege to build World Bank of Scotland's open banking solution for them called Payards mm-hmm. uh, which is live online and live in pilot at point point-of-sale as well. And the interesting thing about open banking, you talked about the two use cases, one to request information and the other to trigger a payment. And I think something like 99.9% of calls from companies at the moment is all about the information. Mm So we aren't yet really seeing that innovation in different ways to pay. And to Adrian's point, consumers are creatures of habit. And cash works really well for consumers at the moment. And credit cards work really well for consumers. So... Until consumers are given a reason, potentially by banks or even by merchants, because it's cheaper for them to adopt those new means of payment, they are going to stick with what's comfortable and what works.
1: And in fact, that's something that that, that I've been seeing. We obviously get asked a lot: what is going to be the next big uh, successful payment method, or indeed, you know, uh, how much of online shopping can we expect to move over to open banking in the next few years? And um, exactly Fiona's point: until we see a convincing reason for a consumer to change their behavior, whether that's uh, something that's more secure, something that's faster, something that provides them with a discount or the ability to collect points or some kind of loyalty reward. um, Until we see some kind of use case, it can be the best thing in the world from the merchant's point of view, but if there's nothing in it for the consumer, you haven't got a chance of persuading the consumer to change their behavior.
0: I do feel like I should ask
1: now, what is the next big payments uh, innovation? Again, I mean, in terms of looking at, uh, you know, if we look at the pattern of behavior, so the big things that have been successful in the last five years are the things that were already around in the market in the five years before that. And so, again, I think, you know, the things that Fiona's talking about, you know, these open banking solutions and fintech driven solutions um, are likely to be the things that will shape the future of payments over the next few years. So they're things that already exist. The difficulty is in plucking out of the, the myriad of fintech solutions that are out there, identifying that one that's suddenly going to catch the public's imagination and really take off, uh, there are some things that you can predict. You can see, you can assess the level of usability that something has, you can look at um, the factors that might make them more attractive uh, to consumers but at the end of the day um, picking out the, the factor that will suddenly make something take off can be very difficult. It could be something as ephemeral as you know a tweet by a Kardashian that mentions a product and suddenly everyone piles in and wants to use it. So those kind of things, you know, it, it's that kind of trying to uh, bottle lightning. If I could predict exactly which one was going to be the most successful I would be a very rich so man so indeed. So my view would be... Um, you know,
2: Consumers don't know what they want because they don't know what's available. The, the drivers for this are the corporates or the merchants or the institutional clients that we talk about. And, you know, my experience is I hate getting a card out and having to put a 16-digit number into a payment screen right I, I i want it as frictionless as possible and you could say that is because i'm a payments geek because that's that's my job but, but that's what i want but at the moment unless i think about good old things like direct debits and standing orders i am pushing the payment to the end recipient all the time and almost all of my payments are going to businesses there's very very few payments where i'm making it from a me as a, as a consumer to another consumer um so actually if I can get the corporate or the institutional client or the merchant to pull the payment, rather than me have to push it, I think that's where the game changing is gonna come. And I think that's where, with what we've seen here in the UK with open banking, combined with the maturity of instant payments, right? We've had instant payments now for what, 11 years, I think it is. And that means that, that we can pull payments now you know, as long as you've given the consent through, through the open banking scheme to be able to, to just let the corporate, the person you're buying from, pull that payment. And that doesn't matter whether that's a merchant or it could be your water company, it could be your mobile telephone provider. And if you look out to, to Asia, you know, you go around Singapore now, almost every payment journey has been pulled through kind of open banking using APIs. API technology has really kind of become game changing in the last couple of years. So that's where I think that 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 game change is going to come. It's going to come from the pull payments from the corporate to the consumer.
1: Although, as I say on that, it is still for the user, for the person making the payment, they need it to be simple to use, intuitive, and as the minimum, at least as good as experience as they currently Absolutely. have by paying with the card or paying with another payment method. Um, and ideally, they need some additional benefit to to spur them on to change Absolutely. their behavior. And it's, I think it's that part that needs attention at the moment yes yeah. it's very clear what's in it for the merchants and and uh, on that on that side but it, it's communicating what is in it for the consumer what's in it for the payer yeah. and um, how is this going to be presented to them no absolutely that and that use. and
2: that's the challenge each yeah. of you know the commercial banking client base will have they, they all, all operate in different sectors they all may therefore have the different ability to to change the the, the way in which their, their their consumers, their customers pay them and, and it may be different, you know, um we touched on loyalty there. It may be loyalty. It may be a discount. It may be some but 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 actually this is why we haven't yet seen it. I think because of because open banking is settling down has settled down, instant payments, this is now the opportunity to people to get in. And we're seeing more and more clients come to us and say, actually actually can you help us explain that? Can you explain what it is and what the opportunity is?
0: So uh payments is one of many spaces where we've seen the incursion of, of uh, Steve mentioned, big tech. We've seen the likes of Google and Apple launch their own smartphone and uh, contactless payments-based features. Um, what impact has that had, let's let's say, on the UK payments ecosystem and uh, what impact do you expect it to have?
1: Yeah, I mean, Google and Apple Pay, um, I mean, Apple Pay launched, uh, I think, in 2016, um, Google Pay following in 2017, and, um, They have had a lot of take up in a very short space of time, but they are really in the UK. It's the next step on from contactless. So it really is a a kind of a progression from the consumer's point of view. People start using contactless payments using a card. And then we're seeing them move on to then store the card information on their mobile device and then just use that device to initiate the payment instead. Um, certainly we have seen a lot of success, um, we've seen uh, in 2016 only about 2% of people in the UK had signed up for Apple Pay, but uh, by last year this was up to about 1 in 6 people had now registered for at least one of these services. Part of that is driven by the fact that now when you, you get a new handset it automatically takes you through the steps to set up one of these services, um, but also looking at it we are seeing people now increasingly actually making use of the service to make payments and using it more and more regularly than they had. So. It's taking a while, um, people were first of all, you know, you have your early adopters using it a lot, but most people were trying it once, and twi- once or twice and perhaps taking some time to become convinced about it. But now we're seeing uh, an increasingly high proportion of people using it on a very regular basis and it is starting to take traffic away from uh, people using a contactless plastic card and instead moving over to, to initiate their payments using their phones. So, Fiona, you talked earlier about
0: the, the sort of untapped potential of payments data and the value that's in there, and we know that the big tech giants are nothing if not excellent at analysing data and extracting the value. So, what, what, as far as you're, you're aware, are they doing with this data, and what could they be doing with this data?
3: So, if you look at companies like Google or Apple or Amazon or Uber, what they're trying to do is create really engaging customer experiences, and you could argue actually they're trying to minimize the friction around the payments. So I think Amazon was the first to do one-click payment a couple of years ago. They didn't ask for your three- or four-digit security card to do that. And that's because they're trying to get the money out of the consumer and make sure they don't lose that transaction. Uber as well pioneered the invisible payment. And Apple seemed to be using payments to drive the ubiquity of their hardware. And it's potentially less about the payment data itself and more about driving their own business models through payment. There are companies who are coming in and they're definitely understanding both the value of the payment data and the value of that customer relationship. I was in Australia two weeks ago and a bank there is understands that a payment business, a merchant acquiring relationship, is the first relationship in, but also the first relationship out. And so when they can see somebody sign up with a new merchant acquirer, they know that they're very likely to lose that banking relationship, the financing relationships that come off the back of it, which they know are worth multiple times the value of the acquiring relationship. So I think banks are definitely watching the, the tech giants to see what they're doing in payments. But in general, actually, the large tech companies aren't necessarily using the payments data themselves they're just trying to minimize the payment to drive their own business models.
0: Um, While we're talking about payment data, are there any particular privacy concerns that arise from the use of payment data? Um, Is it regulated in any particular way? Are there specific concerns that that you need to deal with and any uh, company managing payments needs to think about?
3: So Poliday is very lucky in that we came to life in 2017. So the um, laws around general data uh, protection were already in place and so our platform is designed with privacy at its heart so one of the tenets of gdpr for example is the right to be forgotten so if a consumer says actually i want you to erase everything you know about me our platform's designed to make that very easy whereas other companies had to understand all the places that data was and design entire new sets of processes to enable that customer to be forgotten Payments data, you can learn a lot about an individual. So, for example, if we looked at your current account information, we could tell not just that you drove a car, we could actually tell the specific car that you drove because your registration is returned um, as part of payment information. We could work out your fuel consumption by the amount you're topping up. We could probably work out how many children you have, whether you're an environmentally conscious purchaser, whether you're price sensitive. So you have to be very careful around the personally identif- identifiable information that you find in payments data. And consumers have a lot of trust in banks being able to do that. Banks have a long history in appropriately using payments data. And that is a concern about giving data to tech giants who don't necessarily yet have that trust.
1: I think it's also one of the challenges with open banking as well, is how do you empower the consumer to understand Who has access to their data and how do you enable them to differentiate between who is a licensed, approved and regulated business who is going to be responsible and deal with their data in a responsible way? And how do they distinguish them from someone who is perhaps a fraudster or scam artist or someone who is out to either steal their data and use it for nefarious purposes or alternatively initiate a payment that the consumer does not wants to be made. So there is a certain uh, amount of work, I think, that still needs to be done there in terms of both consumer education, but also the signalling to the consumer and to, to enable them to make that distinction and keep themselves safe when shopping online and when using these new kinds of services.
0: Steve, another common concern uh, discussed uh, when we talk about the digitization of payments is the risk of exclusion, financial exclusion of people who cannot or, or will not, or do not want to, use digital devices for their payments uh, how grave of a threat do you think this is um, and obviously Lloyd's is a bank on which many people rely for their you know financial livelihood what are you what are you doing to to manage this transition so so I, I don't see it as an
2: imminent threat yes of course there's a driving growth of digital payments I quoted the stats earlier um, but the reality is not everybody has a smartphone. A large proportion of the people still do not have a smartphone, they just do not have an iPad. And therefore, even if they use online banking to digitalise their payment, there's an awful lot of challenges around broadband in this country. So so therefore when you turn it back into the eyes, again, as I as I keep unfortunately saying, around you know, a commercial client. A commercial client needs to be able to accept payments in many, many different forms. If they can digitalise them, then that's great for them because it's more efficient and, and frictionless, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But but where people haven't got the phones, they haven't got the broadband access. They have to take payments in different ways. So they will continue to take payments via cash. They will t- continue to take direct debits and standing orders. And yes, they will give, continue to create alternative propositions around digital payments that may make it easier for for their consumer. So so you know in, as I said in 2025, 10% of transactions will still be physical cash, right? So there is a change, and absolutely, and we need to continue to work. Both ourselves as bank to deliver propositions to our clients. But importantly, for our clients to make sure our clients are still around in ten years because they've got the best propositions to take payments in all different forms.
0: Adrian, do you think that the so-called uh, death of cash is uh, even a plausibility in the, the near to medium term?
1: Um, I mean, obviously, we are we're in a, a situation where the use of cash is declining. Um, you only have to go back ten years uh, to see. At that point six out of ten payments in the UK were made using cash um, but by last year that had fallen to uh, less than three out of ten um, and in our, our latest ten year forecasts where uh, as Steve's referred to um, we're predicting that um, less than one in ten um, payments will be made using cash however that should not be underestimated that is still a very significant and very important payment method and although we hear a lot of discussion about uh, the move to a cashless society, what we're actually seeing is a move to a society where we use cash a lot less than we did, uh, and indeed some people may uh, start living cashless lives, and, and in fact we're, we're seeing already that uh, as many as 10% of people are already living their lives essentially cashless and only using cash um, in, in situations where they can't use another payment method. But at the same time, there are other people who very much prefer to use cash and will continue to do so. Um, and so what we're seeing as the challenge really for the industry is to uh, move to a, a, a situation where we can amend the infrastructure, which was designed for uh, an economy that ran very much on cash. And we can uh, introduce a new Uh, wholesale cash distribution infrastructure that is efficient and is going to be able to keep working and getting cash out to the places where it's needed in an efficient and sustainable manner because the systems that we've got at the moment were designed for a situation where seven out of ten payments were made using cash and as we're moving to an economy where maybe only one in ten made that way we're going to have to find a better way of making this sustainable and workable for everybody.
0: So so to finish I'd like to ask you all uh, where is this taking us? Where is the innovation around payments that we've discussed, and in particular the digitization of payments, where is it taking us as consumers, as as businesses, and the economy as a whole? And I'd like to start with you, Fiona.
3: I think we can all agree that the digitization of payments and the data that it creates will be a net win for the economy as a whole. Um, similar to the way that there were some losers when Google came into advertising, like the Yellow Pages, for example, the net benefit for the economy was greater, and I think it will be the same in terms of access to payments data and the companies that that creates. In terms of where it's taking consumers and merchants, going back to one of Adrian's earlier points, it's really, really hard to see what will be the next innovation in payments, but it's got to be that sweet spot in terms of what is meeting the consumer needs. Cash has great benefits for consumers. I was in South Africa last week and there was a whole line of people queuing up at an ATM to take out cash, to join another really long queue, to hand it over again and make a money transfer. But that trust in physically holding the cash, the tangibility of that and the control it gave them was incredibly important. And until there's a payment method that makes sense for merchants because it's easier or because it's lower cost and that provides those benefits to consumers, whether it be convenience, whether it's control, whether it's the tangibility, and that sweet spot comes together to, to cause that next leap. We don't know what that is yet, but it will be fascinating to see.
0: Same question for you, Steve. So, Where so, is this
2: taking us? So firstly, I, I mean, I think it's, we, we work in the payments industry. It's an incredible time to be part of the payment industry because of all of this change and innovation and, and an enhancement in technology to really develop new propositions for, for, for consumers and, and, and corporate clients. So we're going to see a convergence between cards and instant payments. You know, instant payments, there are now something like nearly 30 schemes around the globe. Open banking is opening up, PSD2 across, uh, across, uh, across, obviously across Europe. And that's going to create completely new propositions and new ways in which we make payments, whether that's QR codes. you know, They haven't, they haven't hit the, I would say, the Western world yet, actually. And actually, you see South Africa. I was paying with QR codes only six weeks ago. It, I don't know where we will end up. Digital payments will come to the fore, but physical cash and cheques and traditional electronic payments will still will still be there. Um, but you will see new payment types, and they'll be driven by the commercial clients into their consumers. I'm
1: Adrian? Um, I'd say from my point of view, having you know, been monitoring consumer behaviour for, for the last decade, the one thing that comes back to me time and time again is that consumers really value choice, and they value being given the choice of how they want to pay. And when they do that, they choose the, the method that is uh, most convenient for them, or the most secure for them, or indeed you know provides them with some other some other benefit. So I think it will be uh, you know important to uh, provide choice to consumers, but also consumers react very badly to having any of that choice taken away. So um, again, it's incumbent on the industry to ensure that as we move to bring the benefits of new digital payments to consumers that we don't forget those people who greatly value and prefer to use more traditional payment methods and so it's about both bringing them the benefits of new payment methods to as many people as possible including educating people about what those benefits could be for them if they haven't tried out new payment methods yet but also ensuring that people don't get left behind and don't get limited in what they can do, where they can shop, what they can buy um, and that they're still provided for uh, in an effective way and I think the one other thing is around control. Um, You know, consumers have a great need to feel like they are in control, particularly because this is their money. Um, And so anything, any system that comes in or any new payment methods that come in have to provide that effective and simple control to the consumer if they're ever going to be widely adopted.
0: Adrian, Steve, Fiona, thank you all very much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the EIU Digital Economy Podcast. And thanks again to our sponsors, DXC Technology, an independent IT services company that specializes in digital transformation. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to subscribe on your platform of choice. Tune in next month when we'll be exploring the digitization of manufacturing.